This is Middle Chamber Books Podcast, Episode 16, for Monday, October 20th, 2008. Walter Brash is a former newspaper reporter and editor, and now as a university professor of journalism and mass communications, he writes a syndicated newspaper column, and he's written 16 books delving into American politics and government. Walter's latest book is Sinking the Ship of State, the Presidency of George W. Bush. He's our guest on this edition of the Middle Chamber Books podcast. I'm your host, Steve Lubetkin. Hello and welcome to the Middle Chamber Books podcast. I'm Steve Lubetkin, the bookseller at Middle Chamber Books. I'm your host for these podcasts, in which we talk about books, authors, and other creative artists. Our bookstore is an Amazon.com associate. We're located at middlechamberbooks.com. Walter Brash, Ph.D., is a former newspaper reporter and editor and a university professor of journalism and mass communications. He's also a syndicated newspaper columnist. His latest book is Sinking the Ship of State, the Presidency of George W. Bush, and he's also the author of 16 other books, most of them focusing on the fusion of historical and contemporary social issues. He's the author of more than 200 magazine and journal articles. He's written and produced 25 multimedia productions, and his community service includes work as a public information specialist for nonprofit disaster relief organizations. In the past 10 years, he's won more than 100 regional and national media awards from the National Society of Newspaper Columnists, the Society of Professional Journalists, the National Federation of Press Women, the Pennsylvania Press Club, and many others. He's a co-recipient of the Civil Liberties Award of the American Civil Liberties Union, was honored by the San Diego State University as a Points of Excellence winner in 1997. He's president of the Pennsylvania Press Club and was president of the Keystone State Professional Chapter and deputy regional director of the Society of Professional Journalists. He's listed in Who's Who in America, Contemporary Authors, and Who's Who in the Media. Dr. Brash holds an A.B. in Sociology from San Diego State College, an M.A. in Journalism from Ball State University, and received his Ph.D. in Mass Communications Journalism from The Ohio State University. He lives in rural northeastern Pennsylvania with his wife, Rosemary, two dogs, and a Vietnamese pot-bellied pig. His website is www.walterbrash.com. We spoke by phone from his office in Bloomsbury, Pennsylvania. Walt Brash, welcome to the Middle Chamber Books Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate being here. Walt, it's very timely that we're talking. Um, You've been writing about politics and uh, political things, particularly about the current administration for a long time. How did you get started with it, and what's your take on the way the politics are turning these days? Well, I got started writing, uh, I guess, when I was in college, and uh, it was during the 60s, and uh, it's what a lot of people did is write about politics uh, and movements and social issues, and I just haven't quit. I've just changed media a little bit here and there and uh, uh, changed uh, my day job now and then. But uh, I've basically covered uh, uh, everything from city council meetings to the presidency. And uh, during the past eight years, as you've uh, 
told everybody I've done a lot more on uh, the presidency, mostly because I'm fairly strong into uh, constitutional rights, and there's been, I think, an awful lot of violations of our First Amendment rights and a few others, so that kind of pushed me more into writing about this particular administration. Now, your uh, current work is uh, Sinking the Ship of State, the Presidency of George W. Bush. That is a collection of, I guess, columns that you've written about the Bush presidency? Yeah, it's basically uh, a chronological history of the Bush administration, but uh, as columns are, for instance, uh, let's say I write, well, I remember one column I wrote that I predicted Tom Ridge would be the vice president. Well, if we let that column just stand, possibly people would think I'm an idiot. So uh, the book includes uh, updates and uh, what happened and why it happened uh, in italics so people can distinguish. But basically, if they uh, read the book, they'll find out uh, what was happening from uh, January of 2000 when the campaign really started taking off uh, to uh, basically uh, this past July. Uh, with uh, Again, some columns are in there that could not go into regular column format on newspapers because they're much longer or because I've written about uh, certain things a little bit too many times. And, you know, readers tend to want to not have too much redundancy in their lives. So the book actually is the columns with a lot of annotation. What were some of the most surprising things that you uncovered about the current administration, or at least, uh, you know, in your estimation? Well, you know, when uh, George Bush was running for office... Uh, I thought, well, I really don't want to vote for this person. You know, frankly, <clears throat> I, I am a liberal, and uh, I wasn't. Uh, I was going to vote for uh, Vice President Gore, uh, but I still, you know, covered the campaign as uh, trying to, you know, be fair to the man. Uh, and I think he really wanted to do a good job. I think he was very inexperienced. Uh, I think we're seeing. Uh, uh, the Republicans now trying to claim that Senator Obama is inexperienced, but Senator Obama has far more experience in foreign affairs than President Bush did when he was running for office. What really surprised me is the depth of his lack of knowledge uh, in a whole lot of areas and his uh, deference to uh, Vice President Cheney, especially during the first couple of years. Uh, a lot of his cabinet were those from his father, uh, that certainly was a good idea to some extent because I think uh, uh, Colin Powell was necessary for that administration. Condoleezza Rice became uh, basically someone who tended to agree with George W. Bush in public far more than I thought a Secretary of State should. Uh, and uh, he brought in Rumsfeld, uh, who we now know was a total disaster, uh, even the military uh, when they were released from having to be quiet, meaning that they retired or he left office, spoke out against them. Uh, I think there was a large learning curve. Some of it started with 9-11, uh, but it's our constitutional violations, one after another, in, in the defense of security is what we were being told, and we weren't becoming more secure because of it. Certainly, there's been massive First Amendment violations, uh, and the courts have uh, ruled against him a number of times in that area, the habeas corpus, uh, individual rights. And this is where conservatives, the true conservatives, say that the Bush administration sold out the principles of the conservative movement by what they were doing as far as high taxes, invasion of privacy rights, and a few other things. 
Now, what um, what kind of feedback have you gotten from your readers about some of the uh, columns you've written? For example, I mean, one of the columns that intrigued me the most was the column you wrote about Hurricane Katrina and the fact that the U.S. is uh, only one of, I think, two countries in the world that have refused outside aid for uh, disasters, very much like the, the Cambodians did. Yeah, I got, uh, on that particular column, I got a lot of feedback, and maybe about a fourth of that was negative. Uh, but most of it seemed to be positive uh, in the area of, I didn't know this. Uh, and then uh, some people were saying uh, that that was just totally made up. Uh, I had to lie about it because they were right, and I was a liberal, and liberals, of course, lie about everything. But we had uh, massive amounts of evidence on that. Uh, it was unusual. It was strange. The U.S. did it, did uh, reject uh, foreign aid during Katrina. Uh, Cuba volunteered over 1,600 medical specialists, and Cuba has one of the better medical uh, uh, programs in the world. Uh, the Russians uh, uh, wanted to help. Uh, Venezuela was going to give oil and money, and that was rejected. Germany had a, a cargo uh, plane loaded and uh, in the air and was denied landing privileges by the Bush administration. Uh, it was sort of an attitude, uh, uh, we can do it ourselves, and as we know, we couldn't. Now, interestingly, my wife and I, two years before Katrina, had written a major article that said the U.S. was not prepared for an, uh, an invasion by natural disaster. You know, the administration kept saying that we're preparing America against terrorism. Well, Natural disasters are also terrorism to some extent, and the U.S. just was not prepared. Uh, our troops were in Iraq. Our high-water vehicles were in Iraq. Now, I don't understand why we needed high-water vehicles in a desert, but that's not my decision. Uh, we found out that plywood was in short supply. Now, plywood is used to, you know, put over your uh, windows to protect the house, and it's used quite a bit as a hurricane approaches. Most of that was overseas and the prices were high here. We were quoting National Guard uh, uh, adjutant generals who were saying that they didn't have the troops to support uh, disaster. That had not been reported before. We reported it. Interestingly, most of the mainstream press ignored that column. It's the alternative press that picked up on that and distributed it. Uh, but the mainstream press uh, just thought we were just blowing smoke. Unfortunately, two years later, everything we wrote about uh, from two years earlier, and during that time between that column and Katrina, unfortunately came true. Uh, part of the things we wrote about before Katrina is that FEMA was not prepared, uh, that they were stocked with political appointees who did not have experience, that the veterans in FEMA were so disgusted with what was happening that they have resigned. Uh, I wish we didn't have to write this. I wish there were other ways that we could have protected America, and certainly the Gulf Coast. Uh, Again, even during Katrina, some of the mainstream media didn't uh, believe that we weren't prepared. Now, we are recording this interview the last week of August, and this is the week uh, where we observe the anniversary of Katrina. And once again, the Gulf Coast is uh, bracing for another storm. Um, it's a tropical storm, Gustav, which may uh, increase to hurricane intensity in the next couple of days as it moves uh, into the Gulf of Mexico. Are we any better prepared today, knowing what we know about Katrina, than we were for Katrina? We are better prepared uh, only because uh, the nation was so shook up by what happened. And we had television on the ground. 
uh, and reporting uh, almost, you know, the 24-7 news operation finally figured out they didn't have to cover Britney Spears in order to get a story. So America was seeing what was happening, and America was really disgusted with what was happening. Uh, so we are better prepared to that extent. FEMA has improved. It is still not up to the level when uh, Bill Clinton was president and thoroughly overhauled FEMA, brought in Jimmy Lee Witt uh, to run it, uh, uh, did an extremely good job. Uh, by the way, they brought Witt back again after Katrina to advise President Bush a little bit late, but uh, FEMA was strong under Bill Clinton. He saw what had happened in Florida under uh, George H.W. Bush, and that was one of his goals, is to increase FEMA. Under George W. Bush, FEMA was uh, gutted. A lot of the money that should have gone to FEMA went into uh, our war in Iraq. A lot of uh, our supplies went into Iraq. We aren't truly uh, significantly better. Uh, the levees still have problems. Uh, the budget, uh, the, well... The uh, uh, excuse me, we'll have to do a little edit here. The uh, uh, war uh, had sopped a lot of our uh, strength. The uh, major problem was with the levees. A lot of them were uh, uh, built poorly, as we found out, and that's a problem that occurred. Uh, some of that was because we didn't have enough money to send to the Corps of Engineers. The engineers had said they needed more money uh, uh, to strengthen the levees. That did not come to them. Uh, and we're starting to reap the problems of uh, a $12 billion a year war. Uh, I'm sorry, $12 billion a month war. Well, let's turn to the uh, current political scene. What do you make of what's happened so far at the Democratic Convention? Are the uh, people coming together, the party, the uh, candidate, and the former candidate? Uh, my observation is yes. Uh, Hillary Clinton gave a, a dynamite speech. Uh, I'm sure Bill Clinton will be excellent at it. Uh, there is a strong division between the Obama and Clinton forces, as we know, and some of it is historical. Some of it is just the campaign. Interestingly, both of them are liberal. Uh, I, I had some doubts about Hillary at the beginning, only because she had voted for the Patriot Act not once but twice. She had supported the war in Iraq. Obama uh, did uh, not support the war in Iraq. I support the war in Afghanistan. Uh, why we went into Iraq as a, another radio show uh, coming up at some point. But... Uh, the bottom line is there is a lot of battle, a lot of bitterness, but uh, and I know a lot of the delegates have said they will vote for McCain rather than to vote for uh, Obama. This is not good for the Democratic Party. It will guarantee that uh, Senator McCain becomes the president. Uh, it's it's a situation of if they don't unify, the Democrats will not be in the White House. And I think the people that are really bitter about Hillary Clinton uh, coming very close and losing, the bottom line is if they want to see uh, uh, Senator McCain in the White House, then vote for Senator McCain because that's what will happen. Now, we also have historical precedent. In 68, I was a very strong Gene McCarthy supporter. And I was kind of burned out and tired when Senator, uh, our Vice President Humphrey got the uh, uh, nomination. Uh, and 
uh, Humphrey was a very strong liberal who had the unfortunate uh, part of his life being vice president under Lyndon Johnson and the Vietnam era. But an awful lot of people that were very strong, uh, Bobby Kennedy or uh, Gene McCarthy, did not vote. And as a result, uh, we got uh, Richard Nixon as president and not uh, Hubert Humphrey. I, I am hoping that that uh, does not repeat itself in this election. You have been uh, teaching journalism at the uh, at Bloomsburg University for a number of years, and you've seen an awful lot of changes, dramatic changes, in the journalism industry. How are the students preparing for journalism differently? What are some of the issues that come up when you're talking with students these days? Okay. Uh, this is a multifaceted, uh, very good question. Let's start out with the students themselves. Uh, Watergate uh, uh, basically uh, energized journalism, and everybody wanted to uh, investigate and do what they were supposed to do because our founding fathers said the primary purpose of the press is to serve as a watchdog on government. And I saw more fire in the belly during the 60s and 70s and even in the early 80s. People that were enthusiastic, they wanted to get the story right. They wanted to get the story they wanted to tell people what was happening. Uh, everything from a PTA meeting to uh, corruption in government. Right now, I think there's a large social malaise in our country. And I'm seeing it among our students. Uh, they come to class. They take notes. Uh, they want you to tell them what will be on the final so they can you know, get an A in the course, which they think is their genetic right, uh, and go out and get a job. Uh, I do not see the fire in the belly among all of our students. Uh, certainly there's a few that are very strong uh, among our students uh, in journalism. We have about 200 majors, uh, and they're spread with about a half in public relations. They want to go into PR uh, because they like to meet people. If you ask them, why do they want to go into PR, they say, I like to meet people. And I try to explain to them, uh, as you well know, that that's not all what public relations is. Uh, so we're seeing that problem. We're seeing people want to be TV news anchors, not realizing that they have to know journalism. Uh, unfortunately, local news has become so bad that we are getting a lot of people going into local TV news who do not know much journalism. And the journalism students, uh, we're seeing a lot of them uh, uh, not being kicked hard enough. Uh, they weren't kicked hard enough in high school. And uh, they're not being kicked hard enough in college. Um, the No Child Left Behind Act, we could talk about all the effects of that, where you're studying for the test rather than for the knowledge. But I do have an awful lot of good students in our magazine program. It is rated as one of the best in the country. Uh, we produce a full-color magazine every semester, uh, almost all paid for by our advertising and circulation. The students uh, compete against the major Division One universities. They do very good. And it's sort of like a boot camp, uh, very intense for a full year. Uh, so there are an awful lot out there, but the quality of uh, students, we're starting to see all kinds of problems. In journalism, you have to have that fire in the bill. You have to have the uh, energy in the eyes. You have to have that willingness. Uh, I wish I saw more of that. Are you seeing any impact from the social media, which are you know, like podcasts and blogs and things are having an awful dramatic effect on the mainstream media out in the commercial journalism world. How is it happening in college? 
Uh, yeah, I'm seeing that our students, uh, we're taking advantage of this actually because our students really love computers. And it's sort of like they grew up with them. They understand computers. They understand the Internet. They understand blogging. They understand everything about it that I, some, I sometimes have trouble with. Uh, they are on the Facebook. They spend a lot of their time blogging. They spend a lot of their time uh, with Twitter, uh, with text messaging. And so what we do is we try to channel that knowledge into uh, how, to, how they can use it uh, to be journalists. And we have an online journalism program at the university. And uh, we try to uh, have the students understand that journalism isn't just newspapers. It's everything else. And certainly the nature of journalism today is also depressing because newspapers have uh, lost circulation more. And a lot of that is their own fault, uh, what I call uh, death by suicide in this case, because they have uh, cut back uh, the number of news columns. They've cut back the size of the newspaper. They've cut back hard news. Uh, they believe that uh, more fluff will sell more newspapers because some consultant told them that, when in reality the uh, American Society of Newspaper Editors ran surveys that said people want the news. They want hard news. Uh, the editors or the owners have cut back on salaries. So a lot of students are looking at, you know, getting out of a uh, university with a college degree, working hard, getting $23,000 a year to start on a uh, daily, 24000 and looking around at their fellow graduates who have English degrees who are starting out at 30000 in different fields. So they're looking at people in the sciences getting thirty five. Teachers coming out at uh, 32 to 35,000. Uh, uh, in fact, the business manager for my uh, magazine uh, last year, she was a uh, accounting major. Uh, she just started in Baltimore at 47,000 a year, uh, just out of college. And so this impacts upon our students. The uh, the owners are taking or have been taking 20 to 40 percent profits. Uh, but not uh, increasing the pay of uh, reporters, not increasing their benefits, not improving their working conditions. And uh, what's happening is a lot of students are looking around saying, why would I want to work, you know, frankly, for a newspaper? I try to tell them they need a couple of years' experience on a newspaper or magazine, uh, and uh, it's hard. Our newspapers have not met their responsibility to the people uh, certainly when we uh, realized that over the past few years, the newspapers basically channeled everything the Bush administration told them, as you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post even had to have apologies in print that they should not have been you know, uh, uh, taking the information without challenging it. Uh, and these are two li considered liberal newspapers. Uh, the role of a newspaper, whether it's a Republican in office or a Democrat in office, or what, whoever is in office is to challenge, ask questions. Don't just take what you're being told. Just don't take the handouts. Uh, and I, you know, used to uh, cover government uh, during the Gulf War. I was in the Pentagon uh, getting stories. And it was so easy to find stories because they had large uh, uh, racks with news releases. All you had to do is just go up there, pick up a news release, and rewrite it and send it back to your hometown paper. And they thought it was original stuff. Uh, and I saw a lot of reporters doing that. Um, it's a case of going back to what our founding fathers said. 
the role of the press is a watchdog on government because the government is the people. And if we don't watch what the government is saying, and again, it makes no difference if it would be an Obama presidency or McCain presidency. I'd be out there asking questions of whoever is the president or their officers. Well, I was just going to ask you about that. As we, we get into the waning months of the Bush presidency, you're going to have to shift gears and, and look at either an Obama or McCain administration. And uh, what do you anticipate will be of interest to you in either of those cases? Interestingly, uh, uh, oh, the start off with the Obama, uh, I'm sorry, the McCain of 2008, one of the uh, politicians, I can't remember right now who said it, is that he doubts that the McCain of 2000 would have voted for the McCain of 2008. And I tend to agree with him. My, my wife would have voted for McCain in 2000 uh, in the primary. She's a registered Republican uh, and uh, is a, also a liberal, which I think makes her like one of a kind in the whole country. But uh, she supported McCain in 2000, not in 2008. We think he's sold out in order to become president. The Maverick is not there, but I do think he'd be a lot better than President Bush in a whole lot of areas. Uh, He certainly has uh, honor and integrity uh, from his experiences, but I still not vote for him. Obama, I'm saying things uh, that I don't like either. Now, I would probably say the same thing about Hillary Clinton or anybody on the Democratic side, because you know how us reporters are. We're cynical. At the convention this week, we're hearing reports, uh, and it's not really hitting the major mainstream press yet, of uh, the Obama camp uh, basically very tightly controlling that convention, even to the point of vetting every speech, uh, taking out sentences, adding sentences, telling people what to say and how to say it. I think the only person they haven't done that to uh, is President Clinton. And I'm sure President Clinton can give a heck of a speech uh, on message and on target. But we're seeing everybody, you know, do, hearing what, what uh, they're being told to say. We've also that, seen some news reports that uh, some of uh, Hillary Clinton's big fundraisers were unhappy with the way they were being treated at the convention. Exactly. Uh, this is, you know, something that uh, has to be taken care of. Also to be taken care of is I, I did a lot of writing about uh, free speech areas. You know, the President Bush putting people, you know, half a mile away, uh, so they could not uh, say anything. I'm seeing that in Denver. You know, people were being arrested, and they were peaceful. Uh, Ron Kovic was there and saying, keep the protests quiet. Uh, but people were being herded off and arrested at the Democratic Convention. This should not have happened. The Democrats should be the one that says, we want all the views out there. And even if they disagree what we're doing, you know, let the Republicans speak. That's their right. Uh, so that part I don't like at all, and I hope that does not continue. Uh, and I certainly hope that during an Obama uh, presidency, if that does happen, that I will be out there writing just as vigorously against him as I did against President Bush. One thing we can say for certain is that you're going to have plenty of fertile ground to plow. Yes. Uh, I tell people that the last eight years were good for columnists and uh people like me, because, and especially the, the web bloggers, uh, the unfortunate part is I didn't want them to be good. I would rather have had, say, an Eisenhower presidency where I didn't have to spend most of my time writing about the president and the actions of the president and vice president and the issues and the wars and uh, so forth. Uh, 
one of my one of my uh, editors of a newspaper uh, daily uh, had even uh, sent me a uh, email uh, saying that he really would like to see the old Walt Brash who was able to write uh, humor and satire and mix a few uh, po- political columns in. But yeah, he was right. My uh, political my columns were more eighty percent political uh, than um, satire or uh, on other issues. Uh, I, I am a social issues columnist, but they tended to focus on the Bush administration because there is so much out there. And we're seeing courts that are uh, throwing out a lot of things that happened, but it, it takes a while to get through the courts. We're seeing that there were a number of lies. One of the columns that I did do, uh, just to extend this just a little bit, is uh, when we I found out that uh, the uh, president had called in a congressman to the White House to show them why he had to go into Iraq. Uh, and he used uh, fake photographs uh, showing uh, uh, planes, uh, spy planes in Iraq uh, and some other things. And uh, I managed to talk to a couple of congressmen uh, who were there uh, and a couple other people. And I broke that column uh, about the use of fake photos and uh, fake statistics and so forth about why do, why we went into Iraq. The mainstream media sent that column out to my regular newspapers. Uh, about half of them printed that. You know, they don't have to print every column I send. They don't do that for New York Times columnists. But the other newspapers just, uh, you know, it's like, who the heck is this guy? And, well, you know, I had the evidence. It was, a, it was the alternative press that uh, picked up on it and spread that. Uh, I should not have to, you know, frankly, uh, I shouldn't have to work that hard in order to get people to read my column, to tell you the truth. But the mainstream media, basically, its uh, they didn't want to believe what I was putting out there. Now it's been proven true, and all of a sudden the mainstream media pretends that it's on top of the story. Well, that's the way uh, things always go in the mainstream media. When one one paper beats another paper, then they write an article saying, you know, it was reported elsewhere, originally reported, and then they try to, you know, do something on top of it. Exactly. So anyway, we, we wish you, um, I guess it's the Chinese curse of interesting times over the next several months. <laughs> yes. That will certainly give you some, some fodder for the column, and uh, we wish you luck in uh, covering the next administration, Walt. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I just would like to have a little bit of rest for uh, at least a few months, though. Well, at least you have the time off between the election and inauguration day where you can maybe take, take stock of things. I hope so. Thanks for being with us on the Middle Chamber Books podcast. Uh, Thank you, Steve. We hope you enjoyed this Middle Chamber Books podcast. If you have comments or suggestions about our podcasts, please email me at steve at middlechamberbooks.com. You can also send us an audio comment. We'll use it in a future podcast. Send us an MP3 file or call our podcast comment line in the U.S. 856 861 6146. Be sure to use the plus one in front of that. Or in the UK and Europe, it's plus 44 020 7193 6146. Our theme music for this podcast is Cook the Books from the Indianapolis Jazz Orchestra. It's one of the pod safe music selections you'll find at garageband.com. We produce these programs in the studios of professional podcasts in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. This is Steve Lubetkin. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.